Amen, amen. Isn't the Lord good? Uh, Praise the Lord. Let us pray before we turn to His Word this morning. Lord, we are so thankful to gather uh, together on campus and online to worship You. We thank You for the body of Christ uh, locally and globally. Uh, Lord, we ask that as we uh, come under Your Word this morning, Lord, that You would uh, bring us to a place of surrender and humility Uh, Lord, let the praise of our hearts, the praise of our lips, uh, the focus of our eyes be purely on you. Lord, we ask and trust that you'll meet us where we are this morning. And Lord, you would uh, administer uh, the grace and mercy that is found in the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to continue our sermon series walking through this incredible chapter. Uh, We'll look at verses 49 through 56 this morning, our seventh message in this particular series. Uh, If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I'd encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 570, 570. As you're uh, turning to the Word this morning, I do want to give just a word of testimony about our our brother, my brother, uh, Ron Peak, the gentleman that was up here that we were uh, praying over and just the ministry that God has called and equipped him for. Uh, I've had the privilege and the honor of uh, serving alongside him on many different projects or several projects uh, recently. And, and on one of our trips, we were uh, in his truck and we were driving about roughly 30 minutes out. And I asked him, I said, what, what is the hardest and greatest lesson that you've learned as you've embarked on this ministry? And I'll paraphrase, but he said, he said, I learned not to destroy the people in the midst of accomplishing a task. He said, when I first started, it was all about the task, get the task done. But what he realized is sometimes he was hurting the people in the process, the people that he was serving alongside with. And what a tremendous testimony. The humility that it takes uh, to serve people, the humility that it takes to not only be a blessing uh, to the people that you're serving and serving along with, but to receive the blessing as well. And so that was a huge uh, statement in my life, and I pray that it would resonate uh, with you as well. So to every husband out there this morning that uh, begrudgingly uh, takes care of things in the house, uh, do not destroy the people and the process. Love them just as much as you love what the Lord is doing in and through you. Uh, this morning, as we turn our attention to the seventh part Uh, The Hebrew letter for this particular stanza, this section of scripture is uh, Zion. Uh, It is equivalent to our letter Z in the English language. Uh, Here is the the letter that you see in the Hebrew. And you notice uh, verses 49 through 56 uh, are all beginning with that uh, same Hebrew letter. And again, I hope you appreciate uh, God's amazing wisdom and how he lays out uh, the word of the Lord. This uh, Hebrew letter, uh, Zion, is symbolized by a sword or a shield. Uh, it's this particular letter that communicates strength and comfort uh, that is needed uh, in the midst of hard times. And, and that's where we're at in the psalmist's life. Uh, the psalmist, though we don't know who the author is and we don't know the exact circumstances that he's always referring to, uh, here we do know that he is walking through tremendous trial, tremendous affliction, tremendous ad- adversity. And what he's anchoring his life on is the very word of God. Uh, God's word is mentioned in this particular passage, in every verse. Uh, In fact, you look at Psalm 119 as a whole, all 
uh, all the verses that are there, 176 verses, it's mentioned over 98% of the time, a reference to uh, God's Word. And so let us read uh, the passage, and then we'll begin to unpack it. Beginning in uh, verse 49, the scripture says, Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that, you, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. And in this passage this morning, we're going to look at three specific truths. Uh, these three truths are going to be uh, come to us because of one Hebrew word that is mentioned three times in this particular passage. We'll see it in verse 49, uh, verse 52, and also in verse 55. Uh, the Hebrew word is zakar, zakar. So say that with me, zakar. Say it like you mean it. There you go. So walk around saying zakar. It means to remember. Uh, to bring to mind, to uh, think about, and that's what we see. We see it very clearly in verse uh, 49 and 55, but verse 52, uh, the English translation kind of moves away from it just a smidge, but it's the same Hebrew word, zakar, and it's in that remembrance that we uh, find these three amazing truths be born out of it, all of it related to God's word. The first truth is this, uh, God's word brings me hope. Again, some of these truths that we see are, are things that come up over and over again through our study, and that's a great thing. That's a good thing. Uh, so it's God's word that brings me hope. Uh, verse 49 through 50, the scripture says, remember, that's the word zakar, remember your word uh, to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promises give me life. And here is what we find in these first two verses, that the psalmist is making it perfectly clear that it is his affliction, right? He says, my affliction. So this affliction that he's ex experiencing is extremely personal. Again, we don't know exactly what this affliction is. It's possible that it's persecution, which he alludes to not only in this passage, but other passages. It could be possible that he's uh, in, held in captivity, especially in Babylon, and so he's enslaved to the, 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 uh, the Babylonians. And because it could be due to uh, an illness that he's experiencing. Uh, any and all affliction can fit into this narrative here. And the reality is it, it's personal. It's extremely personal. It's, it's something that he feels. It's something that he is struggling with. And, and it's a reminder to all of us as followers of Christ that we are not exempt from affliction, right? That, that is a sad, false gospel that gets pushed all throughout specifically our country and churches, uh, not just locally but also globally. This idea that once you come to faith in Christ, if you just have enough faith, you're not going to face the affliction. That is not true. In fact, the scripture over and over and over again, Old and New Testament, talks about suffering time and time. In fact, Job, the book of Job, is probably the oldest writing of all the scripture. And guess what it focuses on? It focuses on the sovereignty of God and the suffering of man, right? So it reminds us that we, are, we, we come into this life and we walk through life with great affliction and great suffering. One example is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, the scripture says, for we, talking about Paul and Timothy specifically, uh, do not want you to be unaware. We don't want you to be caught off guard. We, want, we don't want you to be surprised 
uh, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We don't know exactly the affliction specifically that he's referring to. It could be possible the riots they experienced in Ephesus. It could be the, the 39 lashes that the Apostle Paul received. Uh, it could be the times where they had to fight off the wild animals. It could be the, the, uh, the physical ailments or the, the illnesses that Paul experienced in many levels. We don't know what it is, but we know it's raw. We know it's real. Why? How do we know? Look at the scripture. It says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but, I love the word but, right? But, though the situation was desperate, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And notice the power that it is at work. He says, on him we have set our hope. That's a past tense verb. That he will deliver us again. I'm sorry. He uh, he will deliver us. That's present tense. On him we set our hope, uh, our trust, that he will deliver us again. So there's a future tense. So there's a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. He says, you also must help us by prayer. So can you continue to pray? Right? Prayer is one of the greatest uh, assets that we have as followers of Christ. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And so here is the psalmist in Psalm 119. He's experiencing tremendous affliction, and he cries out with an urgent command, and that is the command there. Remember your word. Remember your word. Now, keep in mind that when we think about uh, this idea of God remembering something, it's not in any way communicating that he somehow forgets something. No, the, the, the idea of remembering here is, is God, I need you to move. I need you to act. I need you to, to, to intervene. Lord, act or intervene to who? He talks about his servant. He is the servant of the Lord. And he says this. He says that you have made me hope. That phrase, you have made me hope, means, God, you have graciously caused me to hope in who you are. The servant is saying to his master, Lord, you are awesome. I know it to be true. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it on the pages of your word. You're my only hope. And the Christian life isn't the absence of affliction. It is the reality of hope in the midst of it, right? That's what the scripture is teaching us. Our hope is based on the faithfulness of God. His faithfulness is the foundation of our hope. And where does our hope lie? It lies on the finished work of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. I love that phrase. A hope that enters into the inner place beyond the curtain. So he's talking this Old Testament uh, imagery of the, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies for the, the sacrifice of the, of the atonement that was given for sin. Verse 20, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on behalf, having become a high priest forever, right? After the order of Melchizedek. So guess what? There is no greater hope. This is what the scripture is teaching us. There is no greater hope in life than to know that you are guarded and protected by God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. There, there is no more sacrifice that needs to be done. Everything has been fully accomplished in our Lord. And this is one of the reasons why the Old Testament is so important to us. It's because it tells us time and time again of the faithfulness of God fulfilled in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Right? Do not stop reading the Old Testament. Because you see the faithfulness of God over and over and over again. In fact, Paul writes this in Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may what? We may have hope. We need the Old Testament to rightly understand the gravity and the weight of the hope that we have in Christ. Paul goes on to say in Romans 15.13. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound, you may overflow in hope. And this is why the psalmist is crying out to the Lord, Lord, based on your faithful promises in the past, cause me to hope today, right? That's what we're asking. That's what we're pleading to the Lord to do, that he would cause us to hope today. And hope has to do with not only today, hope has to do with what? The future, right? The future. It looks forward to something based on the promises that are given. In fact, hope is only as good as the one who gives it, right? As an example, how many of us have ever promised our kids we were going to do something and it didn't work out? My kids tend to hammer me on that one. And I know immediately you're thinking, well, you should, you should never promise anything you can't fulfill. Yeah, that sounds great, but this is reality, right? And, and my kid, they get bent out of shape for all, Dad, you promised we're going to go fishing. Dad, my son, Dad, you promised you'd take me to Dodge's Chicken, you know, go to Red Top. He wants to Dodge's Chicken. All, and something comes up, we can't do it, and they just, I mean, they have a hissy fit sometimes, right? And, and for me, I'm, I'm actually doing them a service, right? I'm teaching you that you need Jesus. You don't need me, right? <laughs> Jesus is the one who's going to fulfill all the promises, right? So I'm actually helping them in my frailty and my failures, right? And, and that is important because hope is only based on, built on, the source of the one who gives the promise, right? And the Lord over and over and over again fulfills his promise no matter what. Uh, in desperate situations, right? You think about Jeremiah's day, right? When they're in, literally, they're in captivity uh, to the Babylonians. And unfortunately, the, fa- the false teachers go in there and they say, oh, you're only going to be here for a short period of time, you know, no biggie, right? And the Lord says, no, you're going to be here for a long time. You're going to be here for 70 years. And notice what the scripture says in Jeremiah 29, uh, verses 10 through 14. Under, the context is amazing. He says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, in other words, you're going to be there. Like this generation that lives now is probably going to be dead, right? That's how long you're going to be there for 70 years. Uh, and, and notice the hope that he gives here. He says, I will what? I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Talking about the promised land. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. How many of us heard that before? Do you believe that God has a master plan? Praise the Lord for that, right? And his plans are good. Notice the goodness in his plans. Plans for welfare, that's peace, shalom, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So yes, times are tough right now. But know this, I'm not against you, right? I'm for you. I have a master plan. It is a good plan, and it's for you. My plans are good. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And guess that, that, for the Old Testament person, that is huge, because they're not in Jerusalem anymore, right? That's where they would worship the Lord. And he's saying, listen, you, you cry out to me, you call out to me, it doesn't matter where you are. I, I will hear you. I, I will listen. Scripture says in verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. In other words, to those who seek me, I will not hide my face from you. He says, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So this, this future and expectant hope is based on what? The fact that God will fulfill his promises. And it's the hope of his promises that the psalmist says in Psalm 119, it gives me life. It revives my soul. It's the hope 
that is found only in the Lord that gives me strength for the day. It's like manna for the day, right? We know God rained down manna every day to provide for his people. And it's the same hope that the Lord gives us every day. And the question that we have to ask and answer all the time is, who do we call when we need hope? What are we clinging to at the end of the day when it comes to hope? Unfortunately, we tend to go to the things that are temporal, right? And God's word is reminding us to to set our hope on the Lord. Go to the scripture. As we reflect and remember the great hope that we have in Christ, let us pray to him. Let us call on him. Let us seek him with all our hearts, knowing that our past is forgiven, our present is empowered, and our future is secured, right? Praise God for that. So God's word brings me hope. Second thing that we find in this passage is God's word brings me comfort. It brings me comfort. Again, these aren't new truths. They're just truths that we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. Verses 51 through 53, the scripture says, The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules, when I think is the phrase zakar, uh, when I think of your rules from old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked you forsake who forsake your law so the psalmist begins to talk about those who are bringing about this affliction he says uh, the insolent right those are the ones who are prideful and arrogant those who are are rude and godless they're they're the unbelievers they're the wicked people in the society right he says they utterly deride me that is they're relentlessly and consistently they're attacking me they're making fun of me they're mocking me they're attacking the very spiritual values that i've rooted my life in the very fact that i am desiring to stay faithful to the Lord is this not a picture of today listen you if you have any ounce of Christian walk in your life today it's going to be attacked right and that's what we see the psalmist is being attacked on all sides and and their hatred toward him and his ways is because ultimately there is a hatred towards the Lord right and we have to understand that that's the case they reject our spiritual values and I'm not talking about legalism I'm talking about grace-driven living right? Gospel-saturated people that are desiring to live for the Lord, their hatred and rejection of us is ultimately a rejection and hatred of the Lord. We see this uh, in Ephesians 4, verse 18 and 19. Now, the immediate context is Paul is reminding the the church in Ephesus who they used to be, but this is a great context for us today as we uh, be reminded of of who we were and the the society that we live in apart from Christ. Uh, The scripture says in Ephesians 4, 18 and 19, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. In other words, they're spiritually dead uh, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And notice that hardness of heart is not just that they have a hard heart. No, they're continually, and they have a continual growth and stubbornness of the things of the Lord, right? Uh, they have become callous, right? So think about when you do labor, right? When you work outside and you get calluses on your hand, they're, they're numb to the things of God, right? And have given themselves up to sensuality. That is, they're living life based on feelings and impulses, right? And you know where that takes us, right? Uh, and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. In other words, their craving can never be satisfied and they keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And the reminder for us is the great issue in humanity is not that there is no knowledge of God. It's the fact that there is a rejection of God, a chosen rejection of God. And the psalmist says, hot indignation seizes me. Now, this is important that we understand the context because it'll get us all off guard here. The psalmist is angered because of the evilness and the sinfulness of the world, right? That is what's being paraded around him. The psalmist isn't angry because they're causing affliction in his life. 
The psalmist isn't angry because his reputation is at stake. No, he is angered. Why? Because the wicked who forsake your law. So this is a righteous anger. This is not a sin anger. This is a righteous anger because he's grieving the fact that the people are going against the Lord. His anger is not against the people. It is against their actions. God has given them this amazing gift, right? He has displayed the word of the Lord, and guess what? They have rejected it. And this is one of the beauties of righteous anger. How do you know if you have righteous anger? And and most of the time we don't. Let's just be honest. How do we know if we have righteous anger? Because it's characterized by the other spiritual characteristics, right? It still has a gentleness to it. It still has a kindness to it. It still has a self-control. Listen, your anger is not righteous anger if you lack self-control, right? It is accompanied by the other aspects, the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Righteous anger is always self-control. And the psalmist grieves for the people who are rebelling against the Lord. Why? Because he knows their outcome. He knows their doom. The psalmist, even in his affliction, has compassion for them. Right? We see this from the Apostle Paul in Acts 17. The scripture says in verse 16 and 17. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, he's talking about Luke and Silas and Timothy, so he's all by himself. Uh, he's in Athens. The scripture says that Athens, his spirit was provoked. It was stirred up. It was angered. And why? It says it was angered within him as he saw the city was full of what? Idols. So he reasoned. Scripture says he met them where they were, and he shared the gospel. How did he meet them? In the synagogue with the Jews and the devout uh, persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So he's all over the place, meeting them where they are, sharing the gospel. Paul had such a burning desire to see people surrender their lives to the Lord, to be released from the captivity and the bondage of their sin, especially, especially to those of the Jewish faith. In fact, listen to uh, Paul's desire for those of the Jewish faith. He says in Romans 9, Verse 3, he says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You see how heartbroken Paul is by the Jews' rejection of Christ? That if it were possible, he would forfeit his eternal salvation so that they could have it, right? Man, when you look at the world today, is that the indignation that you feel? Are you, are you just inconvenienced because you can't shop at a certain place today? Are you just grieved at the pit of your soul for the sake of the gospel because there's lostness in our world? That Paul would say, if I could just forfeit my eternal salvation for them to be saved, I would do it. I would do it. You know, we see the compassion of Christ. Remember, he entered into Jerusalem and he says he wept over them. We see this all throughout Scripture. Compassion for the lost. And yet, in the midst of that, the psalmist says, I did not turn away from your law. Yes, I was afflicted. Yes, I was mocked. Yes, I was challenged. But I did not turn away from your law. I did not deviate from your path. The psalmist wasn't seeking retaliation. I mean, that's a beautiful understanding. No, he determined to stay faithful. And how did he do it? The scripture says, when I think of your rules from old, he's remembering, he's bringing to mind the faithfulness of God in the past. It's the 
timeless treasure of the Word of God, the Word of God that stands the test of time, it stands the test of culture, it stands the attacks of the evil one, and it's there that he says, I take what? I take comfort. God's Word comforts those who are afflicted. It consoles us. It encourages us even when we face great adversity. God's Word comes alongside us and enables us to stay faithful even when the circumstances state otherwise. It satisfies our soul. Think about uh, the book of Daniel. It's a great example. Daniel chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 18. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had just uh, declared that if anybody does not bow down and worship him, they, they will be punished, right? They'll go into the fiery, uh, fiery furnace, right? So this has already happened. And then listen to what happens with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse uh, 16 through 18. The scripture says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, in other words, if we face punishment because of our faithfulness to the Lord, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, that's a great phrase, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words, their comfort comes from where? It comes from the word of the Lord. That no matter what, they will ultimately be delivered. In this life or the next, right? That's what he's saying. And we, as a followers of Christ, we must decide every day and in every way who we will serve. And God's past faithfulness gives us present comfort. And the comfort comes from the word of God. We are his children. We hear his voice, right? Listen, don't, don't lose sight of the fact that we get to hear the voice of our great shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus says it like this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will, not, they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of, their father's, uh, out of the Father's hand. I am the Father, are one. In other words, our hope, again, lies in the Lord that nobody will be able to snatch us from him. That's the great assurance that we have. And because that is the great assurance that we have, we can declare with tremendous boldness the promise that was given to David in Psalm 23 verse 4 even though even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your strength they do what they comfort me every brother and sister in Christ has been graciously blessed with the comfort of Jesus Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. That word comfort, paraclete, is the same word that we get the word Holy Spirit from. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Did you notice the emphasis on all or any? All comfort and all affliction or any affliction? Did you notice the link, the hinge between our suffering, our comfort, and Christ's suffering, and Christ's comfort? And it's the comfort of the Lord through the the Word and through uh, the Holy Spirit that, that allows us to stop striving in life in our own strength, right? Well, I don't need the comfort of myself. I mean, I'd certainly love the comfort of my, my wife and my children, but at the end of the day, what is the lasting comfort that I need? It's the comfort that only comes from the Lord. And so I rest fully in his strength. And we, as part of the faith family, guess what? As the Lord has comforted us, now we have the opportunity to comfort those 
who are in need. So what do you cling to for comfort today? I mean, if we're honest, we, we love comfort, right? I mean, air conditioning, your air conditioning goes out, probably making a phone call pretty quick, right? We love comfort. The question is, where are we ultimately finding our comfort? Is it in the things of this world or the things of the Lord? The things that are temporal or the things that are eternal? Is it found in money, substance, food, busyness? It can only be found in the Lord. It can only be found and sustained in the Lord. So God's word brings me comfort. And lastly, uh, God's word brings me blessings. Blessings. We see this in verses uh, 54 through 56. Uh, The scripture says, in verse 54, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember Zakar, your name, in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. So the scripture talks about in the house of his sojourning. That word sojourning means he's, he's journeying through life, right? The ups, the downs, the mountains and the valleys, all that stuff. He says, I remember, I meditate, I reflect on what? Your name. The word your name, the phrase your name, and especially in ancient cultures, is talking about the character of an individual. So we're talking about the nature, the character, the promises, uh, the work of the Lord. And he says he, he does it when? In the night. Now, you do a survey in the Old Testament of the word night, and when that comes up, it comes in times of tears, times of terror, times of trouble, times of temptation, times of tragedy, and yes, even in times of triumph. Uh, We see a picture of all of this coming together in Psalm 77. It's a psalm written by Asaph. Asaph was the chief uh, worship leader of the day, right? He's the supreme God that leads the people of God in worship of the Lord. And this is what he says. Think about the experience of his hardship here. It's a a long passage. I pray that you would study it uh, later on, possibly this week. But listen to what it says beginning in verse 4, Psalm 77. It says, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Do you hear what he's saying? There is grief in me so deep that I have no words to say. I can't even keep my eyes open. The the tears and the pain is so raw, so real. He says, I considered the days of old, the years long ago. He's remembering the good days, right? The days where things were not as difficult. He says in verse 6, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. He's reflecting on the days of the past when the joy of the Lord was his song. He says, then my spirit made a diligent search. And what did he find? Man, listen to these five amazing, honest, and heart-wrenching questions. Verse 7, question number 1. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? In other words, will he cast me off? Will he reject me? Second question. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Is God's covenant love, unconditional love, is it, is it now ended? Third question. Are his promises at an end for all time? Is he no longer the promise keeper that I know him as? Question number four. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he been forgotten to be gracious? And question number five. Has he in anger shut up his compassion is his kindness over me towards me is it over and then he says selah so he pauses and he thinks about all those questions those five questions and then verse 10 it says then i said i will appeal to this in the midst of my anguish i will remember to the years of the right hand of the Most High, the times where I have experienced God's faithfulness. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wondrous of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works 
wonders. Man, what an awesome phrase. You are the God who works wonders. You are the God who is able. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. You have rescued your people time and time and time again. Selah. And he pauses and he thinks about all those things. Everything in that passage hinges on what? The character of God, the name of the Lord, his character, his nature, his power, his plan, his promise. Uh, David himself writes shortly after he'd been delivered from his enemies. In Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 18, verses 1 and 3, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is what? He is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock. That word rock there is different from the word rock in verse 2. So r- verse 2, it's talking about the rock, his security. Now in uh, verse uh, for the second part of verse 2, uh, it's the rock that is his source. He says, I take refuge. My, uh, he, takes, he says, I take refuge. Uh, you're my shield and the horn of my salvation. That is my weapon for victory. Uh, my stronghold. Verse 3 says, I call upon the Lord who was worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. You see what is happening in the people's lives as they've relied on the word of the Lord. All because of his character. Asaph writes again in Psalm 73. And Psalm 73 is probably one of my favorite psalms because it talks about, again, that the great worship leader of the day is struggling, right? He's struggling at what he sees and the, the wicked people's life, how they seem to be prosperous and healthy, and he's going through struggle after struggle after struggle. He's at the point where he, the scripture says at the very beginning, he almost slipped. He almost turned his back on the Lord. And right in the middle of that psalm, it says that all I was doing was looking at the horizontal of all of life, and I was discouraged. And then he says, I entered into the sanctuary of the Lord. In other words, his perspective changed. And what does the scripture say in verse 25 through 26? Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The reality is our heart and flesh, they will fail, right? But the Lord is our portion. He is our strength. Whatever we need in life, he will provide. When I am weak, he'll give us strength. When we are restless, he will give us rest. When we are rejected, he will accept us. When we are lost and confused, he will rescue us. When we are battered and bruised, he will restore us. When we are anxious and afraid, he will give us peace and stability. When we are lonely, he will give us his comfort. And this is why the psalmist says, this blessing has fallen to me. That phrase there, fallen to me, in Psalm 119, verse 56, uh, means that it has become mine. He says, "I, I have taken possession of it. All that God has communicated about himself and his word, guess what? It is mine. And to that, Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is what? It is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it, and he is safe. And that is the great blessing that we have in the Lord, to know that God's presence is with us no matter what. You want to talk about a blessed life. A blessed life is about knowing that the presence of the Lord is with you to live every moment of every day in full assurance that I am his and he is mine. We have the privilege and blessing to fellowship with the Lord, to abide in him because of the finished work of Christ. That is our greatest blessing. And notice the response that the psalmist gives. He says, your statutes have been my songs and the house of my sojourning. In other words, on this journey of life, the Lord has given me lyrics and a melody for the soul, right? And it comes from the word of God. Uh, David writes in Psalm uh, chapter 40, verse 3, He, the Lord, put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. He 
says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Has the Lord given you a new song today? Listen, if he has delivered you out of darkness into light, you have a new song. And think about what it says, that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. It reminds me of uh, Paul in Acts 17. Paul and Silas, they're in prison, right? It's midnight, they're in the jail cell, the dungeon there. And, and what comes to them? They begin to sing, right? Acts 16, I'm sorry, Acts 16, verse 25, the scripture says, and, and at midnight, or about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And what happened to the prisoners after? They, salvation came, right? Uh, think about the, the context of singing through Scripture. Uh, when Mary heard the news that she was going to give birth to Jesus, a song came into her heart. Uh, when, when Hannah found out that she was going to have uh, Samuel, what happened? A song came into her heart. Did you know, and all, you know, all those things are good things. Well, what about the Last Supper? When Jesus spends that last supper with his disciples before he goes uh, to the cross, the scripture says that after they took the elements of that last supper, guess what? The scripture says, and they sung a hymn. There's something about singing the word of God that gives us tremendous blessing of knowing that God is with us. So in the darkness of your night, trust that God's word will bring you hope. It'll bring you comfort. And it will be the very blessing that you need in Christ. Run to his word, run to his word, run to his word. The question is, are you going to come to him? Are you going to cast your anxieties on him? 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 7. Again, the context is the people of God are living in exile. They're away from their home. They're going through great persecution, adversity, affliction. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time you, or he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. So all those things that keep you up at night, those things that burden your soul, he wants all those things. Why? Because... He is your Father, He is your Lord, He is your Shepherd, He is your Counselor, He is your peace, your power, He is your Creator and Sustainer, and He does all those things because He cares for you, He loves you. So when you think about what the Word of God brings, it brings uh, hope, it brings comfort, it brings blessing, is that where you're living today? Again, we're not immune from affliction, we're not immune from adversity, uh, Sometimes our affliction and adversity comes at the result of somebody else's sin, and we're facing the, the repercussions of that or the consequences of that. Sometimes the affliction uh, that we face is because of our own sin, and guess what? Sometimes the affliction and adversity that we face is nothing as a result of what we've done, but it has been controlled and planned by the sovereignty of God. The question is, where are we going to go? Are we going to cling to the Word of God? That is where we're going to find our hope our comfort, and our blessing. Do you realize today that the greatest blessing that we receive is to know that we are in the presence of the Lord. We have the presence of God with us today. So wherever you are this morning, the altar will be open.